1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray, God, your whole body, excuse me, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Proverbs 4.23. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Tonight I want to speak to you on wholeness of spirit. You can be seated. God bless you. Well, we are in an apostolic church, a oneness Pentecostal church, uh, connected to the United Pentecostal Church International, over 4,500 churches in North America and over 10,000 ministers, and then oversee millions of people overseas, other countries. But we're known as classical Pentecostals. Now, to me, that doesn't mean that's our brand, like whether it's a Ford or a Chevy. Uh, Chevy, it's, it's who we are biblically. But we're known by that, classical Pentecostal people. And Pentecostal people are known for their emphasis on external holiness. Sometimes people miss the point. You can obviously see uh, what you sometimes cannot sense in the spirit if you do not know a person. So you can make assumptions about a person, not really knowing them or knowing anything about them. And you can say, well, those people really stress the outward holiness, but they don't know how much we stress inner holiness and wholeness of relationship with God. Holiness is the nature of God. He is a holy God. It's throughout the Word of God. It's not a mystery that God is holy. And repeatedly in the Scripture, we are to be holy as He who called us is holy. We're to be holy in all our behavior and Lifestyle in every dimension of our life, perfected holiness is flesh and spirit, inward and outward holiness. A legalist is someone who looks for loopholes around the call to be holy unto the Lord, both inwardly and outwardly. Holiness is not something that we can generate in ourselves. You cannot make yourself holy no matter what you do. Holiness is generated in you by a holy God when He gives you the Holy Spirit. The Bible didn't just call it the Spirit. It is a Holy Spirit. God imparts to us His divine nature, which is a Holy Spirit. That is the only way that we can be like God, is to have the Spirit that He gave us, that He imparted to us, Make us be like Him from the inside out. We are not preoccupied with outward holiness to the exclusion of inward holiness. We understand what Jesus taught in Matthew 23, that if you get the inside right, the outside outside should show it. 
And if the outside doesn't show it, it would be an indicator that the inside hasn't really been cleaned up like you may say it is. We don't leave the application of holiness to chance in apostolic churches. We teach biblical principles and then apply them to our lives in practical expressions of the nature of God. That is holiness. Well, we're talking this month a lot about wholeness. Wholeness is a component of holiness, an aspect of holiness, because it is a dimension of the nature of God. God is a whole God. It means that He is perfect entire. The Bible said that His work is perfect, that God is without iniquity, that He is just and right. The Bible says in Psalm 92, 15, that there is no unrighteousness in Him. Psalm 50, verse 2 said that He is the perfection of beauty. In the Song of Solomon, this man is altogether lovely. He typifies the Lord Jesus Christ. James said that in Him there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God does not have a dark side. He is the epitome of everything we strive to be. He is holy, but He is also whole. He has it all together. There is nothing about Him that is not perfect. And I said this on Sunday, that wholeness means that nothing is broken. All the parts are in their place. And that all those parts are functioning as they were created. Wholeness is a work of the Holy Spirit, just like holiness is. And it begins in us when we are born again. I really said that, but this is in my notes now. You cannot take an unregenerated person and make them holy or whole. You cannot disciple an unregenerated person. Jesus said it's like taking new wine and pouring it into an old leather flask that is hardened. When that wine begins to ferment, it's going to burst that flask. Jesus said you can't take a new patch and put it on an old garment because when you wash it, that patch is going to shrink and it's going to make the tear worse than it was. He was talking about the idea that you cannot force conformity to the nature of God. There must be a work of the Holy Spirit in us to transform us, to change us into the image of God. That's why repentance is so powerful. Repentance is a change of mind, a turning away from sin, self-will, and rejection of God's way unto God. You turn away from sin and to God. And when a person confesses and forsakes their sins, it releases the power of God to come in their life and deliver them. Not just godly sorrow, but a godly sorrow that works repentance. A change of mind. A change of heart. A change of life direction. Away from sin and toward God. And the power of God moves in. And then we understand the power 
of being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You're buried with Him by baptism. It is a circumcision of the heart. And even when the heater at Atlanta West is broken, like it was Sunday, it chilled their body but not their soul. People still got baptized in Jesus' name. I'm just thankful it wasn't January. And it will be fixed ASAP. We had to order a part. Repentance, baptism, the filling of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God that comes in our life. It is the power that changes us. I'm saying that because I, even though I know most of you understand that, I don't want you to underestimate what God does to change you. Because we focus a lot on personal effort. I need to pray more, fast more, read the Bible more. I need to try harder, do better. I need to. And all of us can do all of those things a whole lot more than we do. But never underestimate God's love for you, His work in you. Amen? That's why I read the next verse after sanctifying you. It is God that began a good work in you. He's going to complete it or perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. God is at work in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. But personal wholeness, wholeness of spirit, does require us to let go of some things that we hold on to. We may justify in our lives. Whether it is a blatant sin or a grudge or an attitude, an unforgiving spirit, anything that we justify and condone in our lives that is not like Jesus Christ sets us up to not be like Jesus to instead of having wholeness, have a crippled spirit. We've got to release those attitudes and Patterns of thinking that undermine the nature of Jesus Christ in us. Oh, personal wholeness is the result of growing up into Him in all things, the Bible said. And the production of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Bible doesn't call it the fruits of the Spirit. They are different aspects of the nature of God that is developed in us. Maybe not all at the same time, but over a period of time. And I want to say this probably over and over. It may be an event that starts the process. And it may be an event that completes a process. But it is a process. I get amused sometimes when a parent will come to me. Maybe their child received the Holy Ghost and chips the Sunday before. And that just happened more than once. So I'm not making this up. They'll say, you know, Brother John's little Johnny received the Holy Ghost last Sunday but, but they, they told a fib this week and, and they were disobedient this week. And I want to say, look at you. How long have you had the Holy Ghost? <laughs> Cut them some slack. <laughs> it's a process. You know, life grooves into us a certain way of thinking. Back in the days of the long play records, you could 
kind of see this more clearly. And I know they've made a comeback, you know, a lot of retro stuff. Old is cool now, so all of us baby boomers are cool again. You know, life grooves in. And whether it's a, a CD or a DVD or, or a hard drive that, you know, put on there magnetically or the old records where it's grooved in, life grooves into us patterns of thinking. We're told what to think of ourselves and other people and we imitated the, the, the attitudes and the actions of our parents and people who were significant in our lives and life is grooved into us a lot of things. Those of us who were raised in the church and especially those of you who were not. And when you come to God, He forgives you. He gives you a clean slate. He makes you just as if you had never sinned. He justifies you. That is the miracle of salvation. While you still have all kinds of unfinished business in your life, God takes you at your word. When you take Him at His word, He puts your sins behind His back. He buries them in the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, He removes our transgressions from us. They are remembered against us no more. That is a power of salvation. He makes you just as if you had never sinned. But those grooves are deep. My home pastor's wife, Sister Trusy Rooks, was knocking doors in a trailer park where a lot of retirees lived in Miami. She knocked on the door of Bill Noyes, William Noyes. He was a retired man from Shraff Candy Company, he lived up north. Retired down in Miami and lonely man. My pastor's wife was angelic, one of the sweetest people I've ever seen in my life. Her son, their son, was one of my best friends. And Marcus said, I've never heard my mom raise her voice. And I thought, something is wrong with your mom, you know. (laughs) She was an unbelievable Christian lady. She introduced William Noyes to the Lord. Came to church, repented of his life of sin. Was baptized in Jesus' name and received the gift of the Holy Ghost. One night, you know, we had testimony service and he stood up and was testifying and while he did, a cuss word slipped out, you know. Those grooves are deep. You're laughing because it's never happened to you. You're like the Apostle Peter. Nothing common or unclean has ever come into my mouth or out of my mouth. You're saved, but you've got issues, right? I'm saying, I'll say we. How's that? And there's a lot of stuff in us that's got to get out of us to be like Jesus Christ. I said this Sunday, it's not in my notes tonight, and I'll get to this later, you know, as part of this series. But James said, Where are these wars coming from that are happening between you? He said, they're coming from within you. So the trouble I'm having with you is usually the trouble I'm having with me. Not always, but very often. 
It's the stuff in us. It's the deep grooves, the ways of thinking. And by the way, we have a culture that is more and more secular. People that do not have a biblical worldview. And when they look at life or values or decisions or relationships, they no longer see it through the lens of the Word of God. They see it through the lens of a secular humanist, of a person who is kind of a hedonistic, hedonistic, that it's all about me. They see it through a different lens. Now, I understand that for people who are not Christian. But what troubles me is that some people who claim the name of the Lord don't see life where the Bible sees it. They interpret the Bible through the lens of culture instead of the other way around. They twist the scripture to fit popular thinking instead of seeing life through the Bible and aligning their lives to the Word of God. And I have one thing to say to that. Let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter what the culture says doesn't matter what the vote is. It doesn't matter what media says. Let God be true. So, so we have this challenge because we have a lot of baggage. We've got deep grooves in the way we think. There's a lot of stuff in us that is not like Jesus. Just not. It's one thing to know it's there. It's another thing to be working on it. It's a sad thing to justify having attitudes, actions, and all of those things that are not like Jesus Christ and trying to justify yourself. And Jesus said the Pharisee who was praying in the temple who was justifying himself did not go down to himself, his house justified. He's going to go down to his house condemned. The man who is pounding on his chest and saying, I'm not even worthy to lift up my eyes to you. A person who recognizes his need of God goes down to his house justified because he's trusting God for his salvation. There's a lot of stuff in us that has to come out of us to be like Jesus Christ. I I want to read through Colossians 2, 6 through 12. This is kind of the heart of of the complete in Christ passage. I'm really not intending to preach on every phrase, although you never can tell. But I want you to watch this. I want you to just see this. And it would probably be good if over the next few weeks you took Colossians 2 and you waded through it and read it over and over. And got it in your spirit. Verse 6, Colossians 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Same Jesus that you received, walk by in the same principles of that Jesus. Rooted and built up in Him, And established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, beware, 
That means there's an effort to do something here. So you're supposed to be on the guard, on guard, looking out, right? Beware, lest anyone cheat you. I love the King James. Lest anyone spoil you through philosophy and empty or vain deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not after Christ. They are not the same. They are polar opposites. They are opposed to one another. The way of the world and the way of the cross. Remember Paul said that there are some people that I tell you now, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross. Whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And there's a fourth thing. This is just extemporaneous. So, not after Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." Water baptism is this New Testament circumcision. But there is a spiritual work of the cutting away of the old nature. All right? Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. So I wanted to give a little context to this idea but all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus bodily, and you are complete in Him. He goes on to tell us how that completeness was, was performed. After you repented, baptism, Holy Ghost, that power works in us. We are complete in Christ. And in case you took the weekend to go out of town, happy for you to be able to do that. But you missed the message, X equals God, please Take about 35 minutes and go back and listen to that message. It will help give a lot of insight and it might even help you in what I'm talking about tonight. Amen. Now, I am, I am passionate in my own life and as a pastor to help us achieve wholeness, completeness in Jesus Christ. And the Lord doesn't hold a carrot out there just in front of you where you can never get there. So you're just going to spend your life reaching and hoping and never arrive. This is not beyond the reach of the people of God. But for us to get there, then we've got to have a climate in our church, in our lives, that is spiritually healthy so we can grow. We don't need ground that produces stunted Christians. We need a church environment that produces healthy people. Healthy Christians. And if the only way you're going to get there is for me, the pastor, to become a spiritual dictator and try to line out every step of your life, every minute of the day, it will never happen like that. 
That's not the way I'm going to leave this church. And that's not the way we're going to grow up. We, we've been watching our grandson, Rhett, this week. He's two years old. I asked for some advice from our younger pastoral staff members. When he gets a bunch of toys out, do you just let him get one like set of a thousand pieces out at a time? Or do you just let him get it all out at a time? Well, the answer was, you've only had him for a week. Let him do whatever he wants to do. Send him back to his parents in whatever condition he is, you know. You only get a week to spoil him. I've got so many grandparents right now like, amen, praise God. That's exactly right. I was asking for a little advice about this because he's two years old and, you know, it's been a while since we've, you know, had a two-year-old son. So we're just not wanting to make a mistake, right? But, but the writer of Hebrews said, you've been in, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, you've been in the church a long time now. You're really not supposed to still be on the bottle. In fact, you've been in the church long enough to be teaching other people. But he said, I want to give you strong meat, but you, you can't handle it. You're still needing a spiritual bottle because you haven't grown up. I thank God that in this church, there are a lot of people that have grown up. They have a prayer life. They know what the Bible says. They read it through every year. They study their Bible. They understand the doctrine. They understand what it means to be a Christian. They understand inward and outward holiness. I thank God for mature Christians that are not just looking to the pulpit to help them get up and make it from Sunday to Wednesday to Sunday to Wednesday. Hopefully it helps. But the idea is that we have a walk with God and we grow up. Amen. So wholeness is in growing up. I'm going to repeat something that I've said basically already. But we cannot allow things, I hate the word things, things in our lives can't nurse grudges, hold offenses, maintain sensitivities, and never work on healing and wholeness. You've got to make up your mind that by the grace of God, You're going to get through this. You're going to get over this. Last time I checked, we were made overcomers, not underachievers. We were given the power of the Holy Ghost and of God's Word to overcome anything that has ever come against us. And we hold on to that such were some of you, but now you are washed, sanctified, justified. I am not what I used to be. I'm not perfected, but I am on my way to personal wholeness in Jesus Christ. Amen. All of us have injured ourselves or been injured by other people, physically injured, And if it was recent, it could be an open wound, a painful wound, right? And sensitive to touch. Sensitive to touch. How long is it going to take the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit, the work of the Word of God to get in you Some things are very deep and very difficult. And no, I've not walked a mile in your shoes. 
I'm not saying that I understand who you are and where you are. Not by any stretch of the imagination. All of us walk through hurt and grief and failure and difficulty that maybe we think no one else can fathom. But when I read about Jesus Christ, He went through rejection, shame, humiliation, and death. And yet, He could hang on the cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He released them for His sake. And you have got to release them for your sake. Because it's not killing them, it's killing you. So we we really need the healing help of Jesus Christ in our lives. So I've just gashed my hand open, right? And came to shake my hand and I recoil in pain. Hurts. Brother Jordan had shoulder surgery, you know, and trying to not really... Uh, be too sensitive about it, but if you would have slapped Brother Jordan on the, I think it's his left shoulder, right? Correct? Left, right? No. Right after surgery, you might have gotten, you know, a not so sweet response from Brother Jordan. He's a wonderful, godly Christian man. He was in pain. We've all been in pain. Mental pain, emotional pain, physical pain. Deep pain. And I've learned that people heal at different rates. And it's not my job to tell you how fast you should get through it and get over it. It's my responsibility to create an environment as much as I can. And for all of us together, it's not about me all together, you know, to create an environment of healing and wholeness. But if I, if I am going to hold a person who hurt me By the throat, like Jesus told the story of the man who was forgiven a great debt, he was owed a much smaller debt by another servant. He went and took that man by the throat and said, pay me everything. After being forgiven forgiven so much. We, we, We are not God. We are in a place of begging for the mercy of God. We need the mercy of God. And if I can say this respectfully, who am I? When I have been forgiven so much, who am I to withhold from someone else the forgiveness that Jesus Christ so freely gave me? Now my message tonight is not about forgiveness, But there's so much scripture about releasing people by forgiving them so your Father that is in heaven will forgive you. And if you will not forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your trespasses. It's a solid biblical principle. And while you may not know what the pinky toe on Nebuchadnezzar's image means, you know what this is. There will be people who say, well, I can't live for God because I don't understand all about the book of Daniel or Revelation. That is not your problem. It's the stuff you know that you won't do 
that's creating you problems. So quit throwing up a smokescreen and making excuses because why, of why you really will not live for God. Now I know I'm kind of cutting with the dull knife right now. I'll back off a little bit. I'm not trying to be unkind to you. I've just learned that people are God dodgers. And Brother Johns, get them, sick them, Brother Johns. You've got somebody in mind right now while I'm talking. I know you do. That person you've got in mind, they've got you in mind. Maybe. So while an open wound deeply hurts, and while we heal at different rates, I cannot with a straight face stand in the pulpit and say that it's okay to spend your life nursing the same open wound. You know the difference between a scar and a wound? If it's scarred over, it doesn't hurt anymore, does it? It used to hurt, used to bleed, used to cause great pain. might have taken a long, long time to get healed. But I would, I would quit and go back to bagging groceries like I did when I was 16 if I did not believe that Jesus Christ can save you and save me to the uttermost. If I did not believe what I'm teaching this month about personal wholeness, if I thought it was just some concept that was unattainable, I would not do what I do. I'll become an evangelist. Maybe I could just preach and leave and go somewhere else and let a pastor do what I do. See, I live with real people 22 years, right? And so we're all here together. We're the family of God. I'm not telling you how fast you should get over it or get through it. I just know that you can't park And just say, I'm okay to be right here. I'm going to live the rest of my life in pain. I've had people say before, I will never get over this. Well, that may be prophetic. You may never, your life may never be the same. My mom is 85. My dad died two years ago. I mean, do you think my mom's life is ever going to be the same after losing my dad? At that age, many of you have suffered losses like that. It doesn't mean that your life is perfect. Some of you have just have gone through tragic loss. It doesn't mean that your life is ever going to be exactly the same again. Do you think Esther, after losing her parents, that her life was ever the same? Her life was never the same. Do you think that Naomi's life was ever the same after her husband died, after her two boys died? Her life was never the same again. But her life was not over. God still had a plan for Esther's life. God still had a plan for Naomi's life. Naomi might have labeled herself as bitter. My life is bitter. Everything is bad in my life. But God brought beauty out of that bitterness. God brought something good out of what was terrible in her life. 
You've got to have the perspective of Joseph who said, You meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto me for good to save much people alive. It does not matter who is against you or what has happened to you. God is for you. He is working in you to will and to do of His, his good pleasure. We can be overcomers. We can get through it. We can be complete in Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 5. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Here's our text. And this word is completely And I pray God, Paul's kind of wishful praying, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator said this is not necessarily defining, you know, the um, everything about the human being. Some people call this a trichotomy of man. It may not be about our anthropology. Paul is Paul is saying that all of you can be saved. Spirit, soul, body, unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And for good measure, I felt like you needed to read verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. The very God of peace. He's the source of peace. He will sanctify you completely. Spirit is human spirit that is filled by the Holy Spirit. Your soulish realm, which I believe in in the Bible, you know, a human soul, God made us a living soul. But if you're trying to deal with the, the components of who we are, when we talk about your soulish realm, we're thinking mostly of, of your mind, your will, and your emotions, Okay? That realm of who you are, mind, will, emotions. And then your body preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord is able to help us in our bodies. We're to glorify God in our bodies. James taught us if we bridle our tongue, we can bridle or control our whole body. Paul said, I keep under my body. Our spirit, our whole spirit, soul, body, can be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord. When Jesus saw Nathanael, he said, Behold an Israelite in whom is no guile. He's preserved blameless. With Jesus, there was no guile found in his mouth. And at the end of his life, Jesus could say, The prince of this world comes, And he has nothing in me. He has no claim on me. He can't find one inch of real estate in my life where he has a foothold that belongs to him. I'm completely pure, clean, whole. You probably have heard me say these two things, but when I was in Bible college, Brother T.L. Craft said it over and over. He said, don't ever let anything, anything mess up your spirit. 
Now, since he said that, it might shock you, but two or three things have happened to me since he said that, that tested that. Now, my spirit wasn't right. My attitude wasn't good. But I've tried to make a practice of not giving myself permission to have a rotten attitude. Or a bad spirit. Because when it stays in there, it gets rank and foul and turns to bitterness that will defile you. That's what the Bible says. One time, you know, when I first came here, I brought some elders here to help stabilize this church. And they were so wonderful. And Brother J.T. Pugh came to preach here. And I love Brother Pugh. And he's a mentor to me, a hero in my life. And one time I saw him, I said, Brother Pugh, how are you doing? And he's a West Texas draw. He said, I don't hate nobody. That's funny for an 80-year-old man to say, I don't hate nobody. The more I thought about it, the more I thought about it. He just said something here that I need to really latch on to here. How you doing, Brother Pew? Still breathing? Still got my old body here? I don't hate nobody. I don't hate anyone. Now, a man like that could have said a whole lot of things to me. But he chose to say the thing that spoke about a spirit that was right with God. His whole spirit. Be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. Really what I'm trying to do this month is help us get on the train. Make the commitment to go from here to wholeness. To not get off the train. To not make an excuse. I've kind of made that point tonight pretty good, I think. To just be committed to the process of, Lord, help me get over myself. Help me get over my hurts. Help me get through my pain. Help me deal with my issues. Help me, Lord, identify the grooves in my mentality, in my personality, in my nature that are not like you. And by the way, while God forgives you, the regrooving of those patterns of thinking, just like Brother Bill Noyes, is a process. You know, God is good. When I was in Bible college, we were able to have a meeting with Brother C.H. Yaden. And Brother Yaden was an incredible elder, an older man. Most of the freshmen thought he was kind of slow and methodical. And all of us seniors who had him for pastoral leadership thought he made more sense than anyone else we ever heard in one semester. He was amazing. He wanted to write down everything that came out of his mouth. We had a one-on-one interview with him. So, you know, I like lists. Some of you know that. Interview with Brother Yaden. You know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm not recovering, but I say it, say it, it makes me feel better. <laughs> Brother Yaden, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of wisdom, and I trust you. And so I just wanted, to, I wanted you to tell me everything you see in me that I need to work on. I'm ready to write, you know. And I mean, I was ready to write. I'm ready for a list. And I'm thinking it's pretty long, but I'm I'm up for it. And he said, 
I think he said, you know, Brother Darrell, um, I think you're a fine young man and God's hand is on your life and whatever he said, he didn't even have, he didn't even say one thing. I was so disappointed. I thought, I know I'm not perfect. So either he just didn't have the heart to tell me or he just left me hanging out there. But as time went by, I realized the wisdom of that elder. If he would have given me the list God had for me, I'd have probably just said, well, there's no hope for me. I need to quit right now. I will never make it as a Christian or a preacher. I just need to give up. But he understood something that I didn't understand. God may have a list for you, but he's probably not going to walk in your room in the morning and give you everything you need to work on between now and your last breath. It would be overwhelming. But you're going to run into yourself tomorrow. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. You can run, but you cannot hide from yourself. You're still going to be there. You can go from Atlanta West, Atlanta South, or Anchorage, or wherever you want to go. But when you get there, it's still going to be you there. So you might as well pull up to the mirror of God's Word. Say, okay, Lord, go to work on me. Whatever I'm ready for, help me. There have been some times in my life through situations that the Lord just literally body slammed me to get my attention about a blind spot in my life. Because I don't think there's any other way. And then there's been those wonderful times of the still small voice, which I much prefer. We all have a decision to make. You know, am I going to go ahead and just keep on being like I am for the rest of my life and making excuses of my culture or my background or my hurts or whatever? Am I going to say, okay, God, I, I love you and your spirit is in me and I want to be like you. But there's a whole lot in me that's not like you. So I... I'll get back on the potter's wheel and make me the vessel you want me to become for your glory. Amen. One other scripture. And I may, I, I will not finish tonight. I thought I would, you'd be out of here by now, really, but. And I'll probably just kind of touch this for now. This is a life verse for me, not the only life verse. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thine heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. See, your inner life is the key to wholeness. Keep thine heart with all diligence. If you, if you do a word study, it means guard your heart with a guard. Your inner world, your, your relationship with God, your spirit. Tonight I'm talking about wholeness of spirit. Your spirit, your relationship with God, has to be guarded above everything else. Because out of it are the issues of life. One translation says, for your heart, it is the wellspring of 
of life. It From your heart flow the springs of your life. In other words, everything in my life is watered, is nourished by the person that I really am in my relationship with God. Everything flows out of that. So that's why we should set a sentinel at our heart. I'm not going to go into a long story here. I've told it here and there before. When I was 30 years old, a couple of books and an encounter with God that I really needed late one night and a process that really is where we are right now. And this verse is teaching a book called Ordering Your Private World by Gordon McDonald. You ought to go buy this book. It will change your life. Not like the Bible, but it will be good. This book was very helpful to me at 30 years of age. Overwhelmed with responsibility, long story. So here's what I begin to see. We're kind of like a farmer. You know, there are a lot of agricultural examples in the Bible. And and in my life, I'm a farmer. And this farmer, he might have peanuts and peaches and pecans and corn and cotton and soybeans and blueberries and all of that. So he's... He, he's going to spend all of his time watering the cotton patch but neglecting his peach orchard. If I go and I water one crop to the neglect of every other crop, I'm going to have a crop failure somewhere. So you've got to, you've got to take care of business. You're a steward of some relationships in your life. If you don't, if you're not a steward, you're going to have a crop failure. When the board here was interviewing me and after I became, before I became pastor and after, you know, I said, I have four priorities. I walk with God, my marriage, our three boys, and then this church. And you're fourth on my list. I hate to tell you, but you're fourth on my list. And if that's, if that's not good, then you need to get another pastor. Because... More than anything, I want to be saved. Second to that, I want my marriage to be healthy. Thirdly, we want to raise three boys, you know, to love God and love the church. And fourthly, I want to be a good pastor. But here's what I knew because I had observed as 40 years old that if you maintain your walk with God, you have a resource, you have water to water your marriage, that crop. And if you have a marriage that is healthy, you have water to water your family. And if you water your family, then you have something to give. And maybe over a period of time, your walk with God, your marriage, and your family can actually be an example to other people of the way they should live their life. Now, I believe that. I've tried to practice that. I've fallen short of that. Not my faithfulness to my family or my wife or my God, but I'm not perfect. But I always try to press order back into the order of my life because I realize that I've got a marriage and a family and a ministry that need water. They need resources. But none of those crops, none of those relationships in my life are going to succeed if I fail at the fundamental relationship of my walk with God. 
Keep thine heart with all diligence. Guard your heart. For it is a wellspring of life. How much water are you producing to serve, to nourish all of the crops that God has blessed you with in your life? How much water is actually flowing out of your walk with God that gives you the the ability to nourish other relationships? Your heart should be guarded first. If you don't mind, please stand. Ordering your private world. Chapter 1. It's called the sinkhole syndrome. When I read chapter 1 of Ordering Your Private World when I was 30 years old, actually it might come out a little bit after that because I listened to a three-tape series first, tape, cassette tape, when they used to have those gadgets. And uh, the sinkhole syndrome. I, I, I immediately knew what this was like because I grew up in Florida and I remember walking outside my, our house, 32nd Street and West 3rd Avenue, and there was a hole in the ground. I mean, it was just there overnight. And, and I'm just a kid going to elementary school, I think. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this? It's a sinkhole. And now we've read and all kinds of things about sinkholes. And, and more than one thing can cause a sinkhole. But one of the causes of a sinkhole is that sinkholes occur when underground streams drain away in seasons of drought. You ever ever see somebody who one day everything looked just great in their life and the next day their spiritual life looked like a giant sinkhole? You're like, what happened to them? What temptation was it? What trial was it? What pressure came into their life that caused them to collapse? And I could spend a long time talking about this from biblical perspective. None of the above. None of the above. It is not the pressure on the outside. It's the lack of water on the inside and when we are dry spiritually a little bit of pressure can cause a sinkhole in fact if you read the stories of the people in the Bible who failed God they did not fail God typically while they were under great pressure they failed God when the pressure was off Jericho versus Ai David At midlife, when he doesn't go to war, he stays home and he sees Bathsheba. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. Over and over and over, that's when the pressure is on. Peter in the garden of Gethsemane fighting with his sword and caving into the pressure of a girl around a fire who says, aren't you one of his disciples? Oh, not me. So the secret to personal Wholeness is keeping this heart, keeping our hearts with all diligence. For out of it flow a wellspring of life to bring personal wholeness to every dimension of who we are. Would you join me at the altar now? If you're able.
Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you because it is God who's working in us. And he will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I don't have time to teach this right now. But I believe there are two indicators that we are in a place of spiritual wholeness. One is when we have peace with God. The second is when we have no condemnation in our lives. Peace with God, no condemnation. Let's open our hearts to the Lord right now. Would you just talk to Him and really just say, Lord, I'm on this journey. I'm getting on the bus. I'm going. I'm committed, Lord. I'm committed, Lord, to a path of healing and wholeness. Amen.